Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Micah chapter 5 is where you're going to be in your Bible. We are so thankful it's Christmas. I, I, I think I get more excited about Christmas sometimes than my own children do. Uh, I love Christmas. I love to watch. We, we did Christmas yesterday with our kids, and, and we got to watch them open their presents yesterday because we'll be traveling tomorrow. And, uh, and I said, man, I want to just be able to enjoy the moment with our children and not rush off out the door. And, and so we just celebrated together as a family. And I tell you, it was a great time to watch our kids open up their presents and their eyes light up. And listen, there is nothing greater than celebrating the birth of our Savior. And as we consider Christmas today, we, like Mary, are coming into the town of Bethlehem. And today we sang that sweet song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. But listen, we think about Bethlehem, and because we sing about it, because it's, we recognize it as the birth of our Savior, we think of it as this grand town, maybe uh, something great and grandiose like New York City, but it's far from that, amen? Listen, it wasn't a city of thousands, but it really just a meager little place, almost like a village. It was a time when turmoil reigned and there was uncertainty was uncommon for all the people of that time. And so it was a time when Christ came. It was really a momentous period. And yet flowing from Bethlehem, one of the most meaningful products was the birth of our Savior, the Prince of Peace. And it is no doubt that the songs and poems that have been heralded, they, they just talk about the greatness of this little town, but it's never been about the size, it's never been about the, uh, the buildings that were there, it was about what God did with such an out-of-the-way place. And even on that night, through the most miraculous of births came, uh, you know what we see is that many in that village missed it. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Listen, people miss this beautiful moment and this place where Jesus was born. They walked by in their hurried uh, preoccupation with life and they missed the opportunity to visit and to witness the birth of the Savior. Now, we can recall our own experiences when our children are born. How many of you remember those moments? Uh, some of you are yet, I uh, have no idea, uh, but that's okay. But I remember when our first child was born, we brought him into a hospital. And a hospital is a clean, sterile environment. It, and that's good. Uh, and then we had lots of nurses and a doctor that came in to took care of my wife and, and make sure the baby came into the world safe and healthy. And, and then after that, we had guests and visitors from all of our church family. And our family drove up from Texas. And it was a joyous time. Now, erase all of that out of your mind when you picture the birth of Jesus. 
It was in a stable in a place where the cleanest thing they could find was maybe some clean straw and hay. They brought along some swaddling clothes, which oftentimes was used to bury the dead. And they had these clean cloths with them for the purpose of just in case she went into delivery. There was no one there except some shepherds. Shepherds who didn't even know the couple. They were just uh, told of this event and they came and visited. There was no doctor. There was no nurse. It was... For all, all intents and purposes, it was Joseph. Now, I don't know about you men, but that's a man right there. <laughs> Listen, down the hillside from this small little village was just this group of common shepherds. They were not family. They were not friends. They were strangers who would welcome the Messiah into the world. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 15, And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another. They'd seen the the angels. They'd heard Gabriel make the pronouncements. They'd heard this heavenly chorus. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. When they got there, they saw the babe, they saw Mary, they saw Joseph, they saw all that had happened, and their response was to say, man, that's kind of neat. No, their response in Luke 2.20 was simply this. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You see, they left this place called Bethlehem rejoicing and celebrating. Listen, all of this happened in this little town, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a little city nestled on top of a Judea mountain about six miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem has a, had a long and memorable history. If you go back in your Bible, you can see the first place it was mentioned. When Rachel died there and her heartbroken husband, Jacob, buried her just outside the city in Genesis 35. It was Bethlehem where Ruth, the Moabites, fell in love with Boaz, and, and the Lord, who was the Lord of the harvest in Ruth chapter 1. And it was in this same village that David, as a boy, tended sheep of his father, and where he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. It was at Bethlehem, centuries later, before the coming of Christ, that Micah foretold that the birthplace of the coming Messiah. That's what we're going to read today in Micah 5. And as we walk through Bethlehem today, you'll see it's still a city filled with villages on the same side of the same hill. It is 50,000 residents approximately call this town uh, their home. Their city streets are invaded by over one million visitors each year that want to come and see this place. And each of these pilgrims come there to visit the cave, a cave which rests underneath a large Byzantine Greek Orthodox church known as the Church of the Nativity. It was built around 530 A.D. over the site, and the first structure was built by Helena, which was Constantine's mother. But listen, every year people are come to this place to try to picture in their mind's eye where the Savior was born. Of all the Jews... They knew where Jesus would be born. They knew the prophecy that we're going to read. And we know this today, that God was at work in all of this. And so today, as we come into the Word of God, I want to invite you to Micah chapter 5, as, as we read in Micah 5, verses 1 through 5, here in your Scriptures. It says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, 
whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth had brought forth. Then the, uh, the raiment of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace... And, uh, and this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces. Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Let's stop and pray together. Our Father, we, like these shepherds, come to worship the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come today to gaze once again over the edges of that main, ancient manger into the face of the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so, Lord, let us with hearts afresh and renewed look into His face and be reminded of Your grace. Lord, let us once again be here, not absent in mind, but here to worship You in spirit and truth. Lord, may Your will be sent forth here and may we be willing like clay in the potter's hands to be shaped and molded into the image of our precious Savior. We pray these things in His blessed, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen. You know, everybody knew where Jesus would be born. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 5 says, And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They, it was a common knowledge that Jesus would be born because of the scripture we have just read. They knew that he would be born in, in, in Bethlehem, but this, and this prophecy was 700 years before Jesus' birth. But it was truly not a place where people would expect it wasn't a place where they thought, well, this is where a king should be born. It was just a really, I've just called it a meager place. It wasn't something great or grandiose. Just, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands in Judah. Listen, you would have probably expected the Messiah to be born in Jerusalem or in one of the larger towns of the region. But God has a way of dwelling among the lowly. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15 says, For thus saith the high and holy place that inhabited eternity, whose name is holy. Listen to what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isn't that good? You see, in God's economy, Bethlehem is a reminder of how God works. And God's economy is different than ours. We, while we exalt those that are, uh, are big and rich and powerful, what we see is God exalts those who are small. 1 Corinthians and other places, we are reminded where Christ said, Listen, uh, those that are last, uh, first shall be last, and last shall be first. And He also said that, the, that God brings strength from weakness and brings the base things of the world to the place of prominence. Over and again, God works differently than we do. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that His ways are higher than our ways. They are beyond our understanding. And there are times when sometimes maybe we feel a lot like Bethlehem. Small, insignificant, meager. There's not much to me, Lord, that I have to offer. But this is the wonderful thing is that no matter what you may feel like, you can be just like Abraham or just like Bethlehem. God can use your life. He wants to use the weak. He wants to use those uh, small things to confound the mighty. And He wants to use those that are humble before a proud, arrogant man. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, God reminds us, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the Lord uh, and to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. 
You see, when Christ selected 12 disciples, He didn't go to the temple to find the holiest men, but instead He looked out for men that were of a humble origin, fishermen, tax collectors, and others. One example is Peter, for instance. This brash and oftentimes arrogant man was used of God, and Jesus didn't see just what Peter was. He saw what Peter could become. Notice the vision that Christ set for Peter's life, even in giving him a new name. When he first met him in John 1.42, and he says, And he brought him to Jesus, speaking of Peter. And when, he, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Instead of this, this, this word Simon means little pebble, or this, uh, this almost stumbling stock, but he said, now you're going to be called Cephas, which is in, by interpretation a stone. If you go later in the New Testament, you're going to find that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and those apostles were laying that foundation. And instead of a man who was a stumbling stock, instead of a man who was, uh, was someone that had no value to this earth, God saw beyond those things and used his life. Matter of fact, we saw this potential in Peter's life three and a half years later when Peter was standing there on the day of Pentecost and God's Spirit came and indwelled him and he stood up and he preached and 3,000 people were saved. Listen, God didn't come to Caesar's palace to be born. He didn't come to Herod's courts, but very quietly and almost unannounced and almost incognito. And he arrived in a meager place. And you know what? This is the invitation just as we sang a while ago in O Little Town of Bethlehem, cast out our sin and enter, enter in. Be born in us today. You may look at your life and say, listen, I've made a mess of things, but here's the glorious news. God can take a mess and He can make something beautiful with it. And God invites you today to put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason He came. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, it says, For unto us a child is born. You see, Christ came for us. The reason that He entered into this world was so that He could save, uh, save sinners. Listen, I, I agree with the Apostle Paul when he said, Listen, uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And, and truly, I could say that of my own life. But that's why Christ came. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And here's the glorious news is that it doesn't stop there. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So it was a meager place. Maybe not a lot on the outside, but there was a lot that God was going to do with it. But it was also a momentous period, a time in which it was just very unruly and things were chaotic. And because long centuries before Christ's birth, God foretold his, through His prophets that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the promised Messiah. He said, listen, this is where, where you will find the babe that was be born. And, and this, when the report spread of the birth of a king, what we find is Herod asked this chief priest the location. Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, And they said unto him, in his response to his question, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not, thou, uh, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. How could this young couple, whose homeland was Nazareth, ever give birth in Bethlehem? Now, that map, Brother Brian, would you pull that back up here? Uh, I want to show you the distance I had marked on that map. See where Nazareth is? Not far. It's a green circle there, not far off of the Sea of Galilee. And that red circle, just south of Jerusalem, right next to the Salt Sea or Dead Sea, that's Bethlehem. 
And then most Jews would take an out-of-the-way route because they didn't want to go through the land of the Samaritans. And so they would go around that area. More than 70 miles is what some have estimated that they would have had to travel. Now think about this. This is a trip for an expecting mother in her third trimester. Listen, we talk about oftentimes her riding on a donkey, and that would be bad enough, but no, there's no indication that there was a donkey involved. That's just it makes a good Christmas story, amen? They've got to have a donkey at Christmas. But the reality is she could have walked that, that distance. Days, nights, sleeping on the ground. How many of you women want to sign up for that one? Now, we're talking about the very end of her pregnancy, and I don't imagine anybody, matter of fact, no one in the right mind, it would be an act of God in order for a woman in her condition to make this trip. Guess what? That's what it was. Here's the good news, is God was working even in this to get them from Nazareth all the way down to, to Bethlehem. God was at work. Look in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read, and we read this with our, our family, read it yesterday as we, before we opened gifts, and we prayed, and we thanked God for uh, just the gift of Jesus Christ before we opened any gift. But this is what he starts with. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now let me, let me pause just for a second. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1, what you don't see there is that this, this decree was from the mouth of Caesar Augustus, but from the heart of God. You see, this, there's more to this verse than meets the eye. Because God wanted to work. God needed to move a young family, and He has set the whole world in motion so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. No one would have expected Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, Mary was in Nazareth. Joseph was in Nazareth. But yet God moved in the heart of Caesar Augustus. God moved in, the, in the, all of the world so that this child will fulfill the prophecy of being born in Bethlehem. We live in a momentous period ourselves. We are seeing the world turned upside down. There are diplomatic groanings in the world as we see nations rise against nations. There are moral groanings of this world as we watch the loudest voices declare that the right, right things are wrong and wrong things are right. And I remind you that there have been difficult seasons in the past and God has always been faithful. If you go to the book of Daniel, Daniel, Daniel will testify of this truth. Not in a season of great ease... But when the three Hebrew children were cast into the flaming fire, it was following this that Daniel was willing to give glory to the Lord. In Daniel 4.17, This matters by decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Listen, we, we complain sometimes when we say, man, I don't like this guy and I don't like this politician or this one. And let me just remind you what Solomon says in Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Listen, we may not like some things that happen, but this is what I know. God is still at work. Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. God is moving in these most momentous periods. And while we feel like the world is falling apart, God reminds us that everything is falling into place. Church, our greatest calling is to trust in the Lord. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And he says this, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Remember, one thing above everything else, trust God. When we don't understand, we can always trust his plan. John Wesley, uh, his father was Samuel Wesley. He was a dedicated pastor, but there was many in his parish that didn't like him. And on February 9th, 1709, there was a fire that broke out in the rectory at Epworth. It was possibly, they believe, was set by one of the rector's enemies. And so one of the men that didn't like Samuel Wesley set the fire a purpose on this parsonage, this house. Young, young John, who was one of Samuel's sons and God would use later to be a great instrument in his hand, John Wesley, not six years old, was stranded on an upper floor in this house. And two neighbors rescued the lad just seconds before the roof crashed in. One neighbor stood on the other's shoulders and they pulled this little boy through the window just in the nick of time before the house come tumbling down. Samuel Wesley said, Come neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He's given me all eight of my children. Let's, uh, let the house go. He said, I am rich enough. John Wesley referred to himself in many of his sermons as a brand plucked out of the fire, referring also to the scriptures in Zechariah and Amos. But in latter years, he often noted February 9 in his journal and gave thanks to God for his mercy. You see, Samuel Wesley labored for 40 years at this congregation and saw very, very little fruit. But if you look and see what God did next, how God would use John and Charles and some of the other children to bring mighty revivals, not just to Ireland, but in England as well. Listen, Samuel Wesley knew what it was to trust God even when he didn't understand. It is so vital that even though Joseph and Mary didn't understand why God would have them move from Nazareth and down all the way to Bethlehem, that they would just simply trust God's plan. It was so vital when that angel came to Joseph and he was pondering in his heart what he, sh what he should do with Mary and what he should do with this woman who was betrothed to him and yet was expecting. He pondered, Lord, what should I do? And in that moment, he had to simply trust God when God came to him by angel and said, listen, this child is of the Holy Ghost. Will you trust me? Joseph could have been a man like many others would have and just walked away and said, God, I, I don't know if I can buy that. And, and he just walked away and said, listen, I'd just rather go do my own thing. She can do her own thing and, and we'll just let it go with that. He was actually considering that very thing. But instead, God got a hold of his heart and he said, God, I will trust in you. Lord, I will rest in you. I don't understand. I don't, I don't know why you've done this, but God, I will rest. I will put my trust in you. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Listen, this couple were oppressed by an invading government. They were paying taxes they didn't want to pay. They were inconvenienced. They incurred expenses in order to travel to Bethlehem. They had to travel just to pay taxes. It's bad enough to have to pay taxes, amen? They must have wondered, where is God in all of this? And all the while, it was the hand of God moving in the whole affair to get them to Bethlehem. Listen, we can trust the hand of God. We can rest that God is at work even when we don't see it. A job that's been lost, a cancer that has come, a loved one that's not there. The list can go on and on and on 
And let me just remind you that it's in these moments when it seems like the world is falling apart that we find the hand of our God is faithful through it all. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, he's called the weeping prophet. And probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is there in Lamentations. As he says, His mercies are new every morning, and he declares, Great is thy faithfulness. You see, God is faithful. And as we think about the manger and we think about the child that came, that was God's faithfulness on display in our lives. One last thing. A meager place, there was a momentous period, but also a meaningful product. And what I mean by that is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. God used this place. And in Micah chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, we see how God would work in this incredible place and this in this out-of-the-way area. I often ask myself, and why in the world Bethlehem? And I think I've shared this with you before, but it kind of answers this. And it's just a powerful quote. It says, Why Bethlehem? Why not Jerusalem? It was the seat of religious power, but God was sending a message. The hope of the world is not in religion. Amen? Why not Rome? It was the center of political power, but God wants everyone to know that the hope of the world is not in politics. And a double amen. Well, so why not Athens? It was the center of intellectual power. But let me remind you, the hope of the world is not in philosophy. God privileged this little town of Bethlehem because the hope of the world is in a Savior. That's where our hope lies today. Jesus Christ came on a mission to Bethlehem and 33 years later, that mission led Him to a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. But before a cross was a cradle and that cradle was divinely placed in the town of Bethlehem. And when the moment came, most of the village missed the moment. We consider the fact that God used Bethlehem to cradle the king. That had to have been a great privilege for this city but the reality is there is a greater privilege for you and I today for he, for, because God wants Him to be born in you. And all, much of the world has missed this opportunity. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. But today here, if you're watching or you're here in our presence, what we realize is that you are hearing the news a little town of Bethlehem as we think about this glorious thing that came from this town, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Philip Brooks was a pastor of the Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia. And he was in the 19th century. He made a trip to the Holy Land in 1865. The journey took Brooks several weeks on board ship. And then on Christmas Eve, he made his way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem by horseback. Remember, that's not a very far journey if you remember that map. The scene, though, and the experience were forever etched in his mind. Back home in Philadelphia a couple of years later in the Christmas season of 1868... His mind was flooded once again with the memories of that Christmas, Bethlehem Christmas in his life. He sat at the desk and the words flowed from his pen onto paper. And he penned the words that night that we have sung ever since, O little town of Bethlehem. Thinking of Bethlehem, Brooks put it this way, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. All the hopes and fears that are met in Bethlehem that night, but they can be met in yours as well. 
When you accept Christ as your Savior, here's the glorious thing. He erases your sins. He erases your iniquities. He takes your sorrows and makes them His own. He heals. He binds. He brings healing and wholeness to our lives. Because just as that night he was, uh, we see that child was born, we saw 33 years later He would die on the cross to save you from your sins. I want to close with a poem by Christina Rossetti that's just entitled, That Night. That night when shepherds heard this song of angelic hosts caroling near, a deaf man turned in slumber's spell and dreamed that he could hear. That night when in the cattle stall slept mother and child in humble fold, a cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe a tender mother rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night, when to the mother's breast the little king was held secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night, when in the manger lay the Holy One who came to save, a man turned in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. You see, today God invites you to remember Bethlehem, a meager place, but a time in which God used it because He brought forth the Prince of Peace. And we invite you today to experience the birth of the Savior, not as a shepherd looking in or as an angel singing of His glory, but as one who invites Him to come be born in your heart. For Christ didn't come just to save the world, but He came to save you. John chapter 5 and verse 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. God invites you today to believe on Him and receive eternal life. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?